This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled A Drill Sergeant's Fame, and joining me from New York State in the United States of America is the author, Kimberly May. Welcome to the program. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. Well, Kimberly, this is a fascinating book on many levels. It's not super long. It's 115 pages. How would you describe your book or your effort to the audience? Well, my book, A Drill Sergeant's Fame, is about when soldier recruits uh, graduate basic combat training. Everything they become is attributed to the effective training of their drill sergeants. And my book is meant to pay tribute to them as well as past and present soldiers. And it's really meant to um, spark readers' thirst for life urging them to ardently pursue their ambition. This, this book is uh, an outcropping or an out, a result of your being in the military yourself. Uh, you experienced military life in, in what countries? Well, here in the U.S., of course, and then overseas in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, were you involved in direct uh, conflict, or how would you describe your responsibilities there? Well, I was a generator mechanic, which involves... Um, flying out to other cops and fobs to um, fix the generators. So I have a very good understanding of the situation over there that I saw from my perspective, and I got to meet a lot of the local Afghans. Your your book is more than just a tell-all or a biographical sketch. You you have um, couched your writing in the form of poetry, which I found fascinating. I also found it interesting that most of your observations were not negative in in nature. I mean, the uh, would you describe your book as really a positive uh, approach to the story? Right. It seems to be an inspiration to others. Um, it's actually a poetry journal in which, with most of the poems, I've added um, personal journal notes to clarify maybe where I was or what I was thinking. And there's also blank pages for the readers to add in their own notes. You have photos also that you have taken during your, your time in the military. You, um, do you have any other life sources that have contributed to this? Other experiences, I guess, is is probably a better way of saying that, uh, beyond the military, that, that maybe have inspired you to do this. Well, I started writing young, and it's something I've always loved to do because I like the fact that you can write something down and five different people can read the same thing and yet have different opinions on what they read. So I guess writing has always fascinated me. Um and I actually do come from the uh, same tribal area that um, George Bernard Shaw is from in Ireland. Hmm. The Macintosh plant, so that could kind of just run in my blood, too. <laughs> well, that's interesting. But I'm learning. I'm still a student and um, real excited uh, about my first book. It's the first one published so far. So, Do you have also a military background in addition to enrolling in the military? I, my understanding is your family has a, a fairly broad tradition of military service. 
Um, that's correct. I come from a large military family. We've had um, officers, um, enlisted personnel all throughout the ranks serve. Um, I did have, unfortunately, a couple cousins die from Agent Orange. Um, so I have a very large, rather, perspective on the whole military life and pretty much how it affects others around you. And that's something else I'm excited about my book is that I'm uh, donating a portion of the proceeds to help other veterans. Exceptional. So. Your book, mm-hmm. is it something that is going to be interesting only to military people or will the, the regular public who maybe doesn't have an insight into the life and liberties that are produced by the military will they also find this a good read um yeah well actually i do have some reviews posted on my website and one of the ladies that did a, an exceptional review thoroughly of my book um she has family members um in uh different uh aspects of the service like CIA and such but what she uh, said in her review was that it made reading my book helped her to understand her family that served um, on a deeper level why do you think your book is um, positive or uplifting or motivational in style that for most readers would be a slight surprise when they understand where you are writing your your uh, observations from well I, I have a love for life and experiencing new things and you know I was told in grade school that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it so and I found that to be 100% true um, thus far in life <laughs> and uh, my book I'd like to kind of impart that to others and that helps them other people to see when you're in a dark situation how if you just take a step back and and look at all the aspects there's usually a very positive uh, place to come from that's a that's a very phenomenal life perspective I have a relative who is going through a dark place in a dark future perhaps and has chosen to focus on the dark and not the, the positive things that I absolutely could come from that situation and also uh, are surrounding them uh, is there any of your poetry any of your pieces that you have penned that you think might be a good reflection or give people a good insight into to how you have approached this this writing material I'm sure. Uh, actually, I will read to you um, Afghanistan, Beauty or Boils, Things That Seem Aren't Always So. Mm. Um, on my way to a land that seems nothing more than sand, at a closer look, just take a glance. One can see out here there's a different kind of life and dance. Not one that's dreadful or sad to push forth a tear, rather a wondrous marvel captured in a whirlwind of fear. Life as it was so long ago, Recent ages can ne'er behold the beauty of a way so simple and light, now to us and shameful with a dark and gruesome fight. Those enemies who try to corrupt with an atrocious terror, we the U.S. military soldiers become the shearer, teaching Afghans right, training each and every day, making a way for these Afghans to once take back their country and culture no more to be jacked. Nemesis disbanded, freedom rings in a different way making certain to destroy any and all Taliban protege. Excellent. 
Share a, a little more insight into the title, A Drill Sergeant's Fame. You yourself were not in a drill sergeant's capacity in the military, if I'm understanding your background, but still you Correct. focused on a drill sergeant's fame. Why the drill sergeant? Well, like I said, um, whenever a soldier makes it through basic training, everything they become is directly because of our drill sergeants. And they have a very, very tough life. It's really grueling, and it'll last for months and months before they even get a break. So, But I'll read to you a, a short, shorter uh, caption of A Drill Sergeant's Fame, the poem. Beautiful. Which is what my book is named after. The drill sergeants we've come to know are prodigies at making us feel well. For their voices do precisely yell to viciously dish out hell. They love to exclaim, beat your face, we'd like to put in our eyes just a bit of mace. To the vengeful thought for now, I'm sure they have a secret calculating vow. And while running the two-mile race, our drill sergeants will be all up in our face. Hey, you, Riri, you're such a window licker. You better move those legs quicker. Our drill sergeants, or I'm sorry, that's our drill sergeant's way. They make us ball our fists and say, you rode the short bus, not I. We can tell by the demon in your eye. And then it goes on for a little while longer, but then at the end, I'm just going to read you the last portion, which is really what I was talking about before. Yes. So now at their best, they'll be seen downrange, together in combat, killing without shame. Stopping their allies will be filled with pride, fighting to be, or to be fighting so fiercely right at their side. Then and there, this won't lie. Thank you, Jill Sergeants, for this long and ludicrous ride. Beautiful commendation for that difficult position in the military. You mm-hmm. have uh, have you developed any friendships that have been uh, carried beyond your military experience? I'm curious about that. Whether there's some lifelong friendships have developed, or whether it's just a respect for the positions and the duty of those who have served. Um, definitely some lifelong friends. Um, I'm actually going to be going down to a reunion for um, the 2nd 506, 101st. They're who I served with and went overseas. And uh, there's a couple females and other soldiers there that uh, I keep in contact with. And uh, Yeah, it's like a bond that just never goes away. Oh, that's good to know. I, I have some of those bonds from my school relationships that go back many years, uh, longer than I'd mm-hmm. like to admit. And I, was, <laughs> I, I have not always uh, felt that military guys wanted to remember and stick with their buddies some of them do some do not uh, so that's good news i'm happy to hear that now your book is is unique in that it is a um, a military story but it's done in a positive manner and also in poetic format is this book different from others in the marketplace do you think um, yeah, there's actually no other poetry journals that I've heard of. Um, so in, in addition to adding insight after each poem, um, my book's uh, broken up into chapters. Uh, so you can readily ex- find uh, what you're looking for. And is there any, was there any difficulty or complexity in, in actually assembling the material for this? And if so, how did you overcome it and how long did it take? Well, I actually wrote it um, in the course of about three years when I was in the military, and originally it was just uh, a collection of my thoughts, poems I wrote to help other females in basic and such. But as time progressed, I ended up um, seeing the value of my written words. Um, Some of my friends had read some of the things, and um, 
really inspired me to actually go ahead with the publication process. And that in itself probably was one of the harder issues, you know. It was my uh, first time, first experience, but um, I went through Author House, and they were really explanatory and helpful through the process. And, And are there one or two, maybe three words that might describe the underlying message that you have shared in your book? Um, yeah, honor, hope, and perseverance. Hope and perseverance, wonderful words, and certainly uh, commendable work that you have com- accomplished. Were you, uh, in in the process, did you enjoy it enough that you may have a sequel to this particular release? Um, well, I guess a, a sequel in essence. Um, the next novel that I'm working on um, is referenced is in reference to one of the poems that I wrote in the poetry journal, and it uh, takes you through a journey um, of a situation that a soldier finds themselves in, and then all of the repercussions and aftermath. But again, in a positive twist to uh, invoke inspiration and change in people. Wonderful. Well, we certainly need books and Uh, articles that are positive in nature. Thank you for sharing your story and also sharing the contents of your book, A Drill Sergeant's Fame. My author has been Kimberly May. Kimberly, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Sure, you can go on my website. It's at KimmyMay.com. That's K-I-M-M-I-E-M-A-E.com. And you can also find it on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. They can do a search under your name, too, Kimberly, spelled uh, in the traditional manner, and May, M-A-E, and uh, Mm -hmm. find out about any books that may be released in the future and perhaps join you someplace on a fan page. Would love to, I'm sure, keep in touch with you and find out about more of your writing endeavors. Thank you again for joining me today, Kim. Oh, you're very welcome, and thanks for having me. My pleasure. For Author House, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Quicksand, a Family Foundation, Book One. And the author is Victoria Thomas, and Victoria joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Victoria. 
Hi, good afternoon. Great to have you with us. Very intriguing book one, part of a trilogy. We'll talk more about book two, book three later in this interview. But this first book, as you put it, the story of your paternal side of your family. And this this book really focuses on your great-grandparents. But I also love the prologue, which is focused on you at Ellis Island, which we'll discuss as well. But as you put it, This book is a twisted saga of lives intertwined with the unexpected continually directing their fate, and many can relate because unexpected events occur in all our lives, but these main characters, are the main characters the women? The main characters are are the women, and everything is, on again, like you said, on the paternal side. The main characters, I would say, the heroines or the protagonists are the women. The men are, of course, an integral part of it and how their lives affect the women. But it's the theme of all three novels, historical novels, is that insecurity within the women in their personal lives, yet each of the women whether it's my great-grandmother in Quicksand, my grandmother Lillian, which is in book two, or my mother in book three, or myself. We're all extremely successful, as well as my sisters, in our business lives. But with personal relationships, there's a deep insecurity. And so it's like um, a paradoxical situation. Before we get into those details. Tell us a little bit about your background and how this book came about. Oh, I'd be glad to. The prologue, Coming to America, talks about how my family ended up in America. And it wasn't to chase the American dream. It was that my sister uh, had to have an operation. And that operation nowadays would be probably pretty simplistic but at the time it was uh, innovative and nothing had been done in Wales in the United Kingdom to correct her situation which was one leg was longer than the other. My aunt and uncle, my father's sister and her husband had come to America and my uncle found a doctor that wanted to do this operation on my sister. It was only the second one. First one that he'd done was un- unsuccessful on another girl but my sister her the growth plate in her which we'll call the the good leg had not it wasn't final it it was still she was still growing and so they the operation was extensive where they put pins in the uh, kneecap of that leg then as she grew the other leg caught up and when they were even the pins were released which sounds again very simplistic but at that time this doctor in England he was published over it it became an operation that helped many many children and that's how we came to the United States and we came through Ellis Island like all the immigrants did which was very poignant for me as a child and for my father and for my for my little family there were five of us you remember even till today tears streaming down your father's face when he got there there's the statue of liberty what do you make of that today what what was going on in his mind and in his heart 
I think in my father, in his mind, he had fought in World War II. Uh, he was a lieutenant colonel in the British Army. I think when we were coming in, he was leaving everything he knew behind his success in the Army, his family that's in Wales and England. And I think the tears were tear, mixed tears, tears of joy for my sister, tears of sadness and regret leaving his homeland. And I think all of those things mixed together. And it was a drizzly, dreary day in December, and it was cold, and we were standing out on the deck as we came in, and there were all the tugboats were everywhere, and, you know, it was pretty daunting. And I think that it was just mixed emotions for my dad. This book one begins with the family in the early 1800s, uh, your great-grandparents. Yes. yes. And as yeah. you put it, stretches across France, England, Wales, and eventually America. And then you talk right. about deceit, lies, secret, character flaws. Give us some insight into how those interacted and played this very important part, unfortunately, in the family's lives the great-grandparents obviously i don't know much about them at all this book is basically fiction other than i knew when they were born when they died when they had their children my cousin that still lives in newport wales was able to get a lot of information for me and so it's based it's very loosely based on facts and that's bas basically all the facts there are. The rest of it is imagination. The reason I wanted to write the book is when I was a little girl, and I can remember it, it was at the age of five, and my father's mother, my, my grandmother, would come over from England and she would stay with us. I used to question her. I just, I was fascinated. I always loved history and, and I used to ask her questions. And sometimes she would talk to me about things and sometimes she wouldn't. And her bedroom, we had a split level home in Ocean City, New Jersey. And her bedroom was on the bottom floor and there were twin beds. And sometimes she'd let me sleep in there and I'd get to hear all of her stories. and. And it was just fascinating, and I loved it, and I just couldn't wait to put my everyday life behind me and be able to sit down and really write. But what's so strange about all of it is everything she told me was a lie. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And so when we get into book two, we'll, we'll find out a lot about that, all the way down to our last name that my father had was not his real last name and it's just fascinating when I was oh I guess my I must have been about 30 my grandmother passed away and my dad was executor of her estate and so he and my mother flew over to England and they got, they got to her house, and it was a sea of black garbage bags. My cousin had flown over on the Concorde, and all the paperwork was gone. Everything was gone. And so thinking we were going to find out 
everything that was true uh, didn't really happen. We've, I've had to dig, and again, I have a cousin that lives in, in Newport, Wales, who's gone to great lengths to help me. I mean, she's even gone to the hospital where my grandfather died and demanded all of his records, which we've got. I mean, it's just great. We, we've got those records of his illness and his death, and she was able to get a lot of that. But everything that my paternal grandmother told me that fascinated me was not true. <laughs> so digging through that has been quite a revelation. So this deep insecurities that you've talked about that run through especially the women in the family is... Is this all part of this? Is this all part of the history of that yeah. you are writing about that has caused this kind of pain in in the individuals? I, I think so. I think that that the women sought their uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the the best word for it their validation. They sought their validation through career a career path. Their validation didn't come from themselves and didn't come from a man because the men in their lives it, there's so many twists and turns that and tragic things that happened and fate stepping in so basically there's many things that happened and I think a lot of things that happened have to do with having children being rejected and that's all part of it so it's it's a very intricate tangled web and the reader will work through it as they go through the whole trilogy I, just, I know that many people that have read book one Quicksand I've had excellent feedback on and I, I've been very very pleased with that they can't wait for book two and the reason book two isn't out yet is because I've had uh, things in my own personal life that have have held me back but it, it will be out within the next probably six months and that'll be about your grandmother and then book three about yes. your mother it'll be about my grandmother my sisters and myself and my father a lot about my father of course my mother and then when we get to the last book it's it'll bring it up to date to uh what's really happened to all of these family members and people with how did they get so scattered? Why do we have a global family? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a very strange type of family unit, and it's, it's sad, very sad. Well, as you put it, you have come to understand turbulence, instability, and flaws that were deep-seated in the family lineage. And uh, great to get to know family, though, it, it, regardless of... Of what we discover, there's an important tie there that I think that's what makes family history genealogy such a, uh, I guess it's the number one hobby. You know, I think a lot of people have, have really gotten into their ancestry. There's a television show now that's uh, on that movie stars look at, you know, where they came from and they travel all over the world. And, and I think that really piqued a lot of people's interest. Myself, I've just always been interested. I've always loved history. I've loved my family history. And so it's, it's been a, I think, as you say, it's probably one of the number one pastimes, people looking into their ancestry, that there's a, a couple sites on the Internet that are just 
huge, and I think they're very lucrative for the as a business. Right. Yeah, I think you're talking about Ancestry. dot com is a Ancestry. dot com is one of them. Right, yes, very, and very I mean, big. I've gone, I've gone to it, and as a matter of fact, I think the most startling thing that I found, and I sat there and just stared at it like I was seeing ghosts flying around my head was the ship's manifest and I can see from the Mauritania and I can see my mother's name, my name my sister's name what we had with us what the dates were, it's it's fascinating yeah it's fascinating and riveting that's for sure see your name written there and you were basically a baby I was three I mean it's just unbelievable We've been talking with Victoria Thomas. She's the author of Quicksand, a family foundation, book one. Victoria, tell us, what's the best way to get your book? You can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Google or you know, Google it, and you can find wherever different places are that sell it. And uh, also through Author House. So there's several different methods of getting the book and I, I would like to say that I've enjoyed talking to you about the book and and I've loved writing it and I can't wait to get book two finished <laughs> and get that out there so people can continue on with the saga that's very I think intriguing do you have a title for book two you know I'm wrestling with it okay. uh, so I can't tell you I've got a definite a definite title yet Well, thank you so much, Victoria, for joining us on Author Talk. Steve, I want to thank you, and I hope you have a wonderful afternoon, and thank you for being interested in my book and sharing it with others. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. In the 1950s, kids were about baseball, the Lone Ranger, and apple pie. In the 60s, it was war, finding your freedom in the monkeys. The 1970s brought disco, the Brady Bunch, and self-empowerment. When the 80s arrived, the youth of the world celebrated individuality and a rocking beat. The 90s whizzed by with lots of grunge and many shades of gray. Now, the turn of the century has come and gone, and today's youth has something to say. Young Mind Society is the voice of a new generation. Tune in on astronetradio.com Fridays at 6 p.m. Central to hear DJ Y, Carl Papa, Queen Meat, and Princess Jazz lay down the humor, ideas, and thoughts of the now. Remember, Young Mind Society, Fridays at 6 p.m. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Women Who Knew Jesus. And joining me from California, near the city of San Francisco, is author Dr. Bonnie Ring. Welcome to the program. Thank you. This is a, a book that uh, is unique in several uh, several uh, perspectives, I guess. Uh, one, it deals specifically with uh, the women of the New Testament and their relationship to Christ. Uh, how did you come up with the idea of wanting to write this book? Oh, it's a wonderful story. I was in my first year of seminary at the age of 46, and uh, the instructor in church history said we needed to write five meditations about saints from the first 500 years of the church and I flippantly said is it alright if I choose all women Mm -hmm. and he answered me and said 
Well, sure. Though I can't think. I, I don't think I can think of five that would qualify. Mm. That was fighting well, I words. I not only discovered those five, but I discovered there was a whole slew of women that Jesus interacted with, and they had a very different attitude toward him and response to him than the male disciples did. Absolutely. You have uh, included in here the many well-known figures from the New Testament uh, interaction with Christ. And one thing I found interesting about your book and your style is that you have uh, sort of written this in a way that it could be done as a or read as a devotional guide. It could be used in a church setting, could be used in a community setting. What was it is being done? That is being done now. Wonderfully. There are churches all over that are reading the book together and responding to it, and it's it's it allows an individual to do it on their own. I have friends who say, "I'm re- this is one book. I'm really going to do the exercises. I I would resist it normally." Yes, at the end of each chapter, you have a sort of a meditation area and questions that will delve into the thinking of the reader and get them interacting with the content. I think that's a yeah, wonderful approach. Yeah, the meditations approach. allow them to think about how that woman would be feeling and how Jesus might be feeling. And then the questions ask them to apply the same circumstances to their lives now. I uh, noted in your biography that you also had some, uh, I will will call it, um, theatrical involvement in your church setting. Um, Doing, uh, how would you describe those those, uh, activities? I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. Well, I may have misread then. I, I, I had the impression that you had done some, um, uh, not theatrical, but but uh, dramatic uh, interaction and in, uh, interpreting some of the stories. Well, uh, less less so in church and more in my retreats. Mm. I I got the, the participants to act out the stories, and they became alive for them. And then when I was a student, I took a course, a wonderful course, course called... The Gospel of John as instant theater. Correct. And it was in, I think this is the instant that you're thinking of, and it was in the experience of playing the role of Mary Magdalene that I really got it, that it's so powerful to, to experience the person telling their story. And of course, that's the way the Gospel was originally formed. Well, thank you so much for the stories and reacted. Thank you so much for reinforcing the fact that I am not losing my uh, my intellect. <laughs> totally. Uh, the reason also that I brought that up in in thinking of the uh, the questions and the meditations at the end of your chapter, I was thinking that those uh, did you write those with the intent of perhaps those being portrayed and uh, reenacted? Uh, no, I. Let's see. The 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 questions first formed as I did retreats with women around the women who knew Jesus. And um, then I added to them as I was writing the book to make it more complete and to to allow each woman to kind of engage herself in the in the story. As I was reading it, and uh, of course that, again, I have a little bit of a creative background, it, it sort of took me into the theater, into a theatrical setting where I could maybe interact with other people and uh, retell that story maybe from my perspective using those as a guideline. That's just something well, that's, that impressed that's me. That's what we did in the Gospel of John as Instant Theater. Yes. We took the story and we read it, we recreated it as a script 
and we acted it out. And then as a class, we talked about the impact that that story had on us, seeing it right in front of us. Phenomenal. 247 pages. How long did it take you to complete this, Dr. Ring? It took about a year and a half to write and then another six months to edit. Hmm. Is there anything that you discovered in your research that is not commonly known in the Christian faith that maybe stood out to you a little bit? Probably the most striking thing is the impact these women had on Jesus. Um, Some of them changed his mind about things or opened up discussions that had never been held before. For instance, the Samaritan woman at the well Mm -hmm. was somebody who was really, she's on the cover of the book, she she avoided the people in town because they disparaged her and she was... She was considered kind of loose and, and immoral. And um, when she got to talking to Jesus, at first she was very resistant. You know, men didn't talk to women they didn't know, and Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. But after she got, en- got engaged with him, she started to get excited about what he was saying. And she said to him, well, you know, you Jews think that you should only worship in the temple in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans have a different place that we worship. And Jesus said something he never said anywhere else. Where you worship worship will not matter. It is how you worship, whether you wor- worship with an open heart, with all your being in, in response to God. Remarkable insight, absolutely. Yeah. And also the fact that Jews and, and uh, Samaritans really did not I- interact at all. In fact, I'm sure the disciples no, long, were pretty alarmed. a history of despising one another. Right, and Christ eliminated that barrier not only with the Samaritans but also with uh, with the ladies or, or with women because that again was probably a cultural uh, uh, no-no. Oh, yeah. No 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 moral Jew would have approached women the way Jesus did. He he just disregarded the custom and he treated them as equals. What did you think the impact of these women you have uh, highlighted in your book had on the early church? Or did anything happen because well, of Well, I think, I think their impact on the early church was diminished as the early church became more concerned with its own acceptability. Many of these women were um, figures, many women were figures in the early church in, in running house churches and mm-hmm. celebrating the Eucharist. And then as the culture, um, as, as the desire for acceptability in the Roman culture got greater, they got more restrictive towards women. And um, and then the worst story of all is the story of Pope Gregory, who thought that Mary Magdalene was a, a prostitute. Mm. And he, he conflated several different stories about different women, none of whom were really prostitutes, but one of them was a repentant woman of something. And he put them all together, and he called her Mary Magdalene. And so in the Eastern Church, she has been referred to as the Apostle to the Apostles because she was the first to see the risen Christ. But in the Western Church, it took them until Vatican II in the 60s to admit that their story about Mary Magdalene was wrong. Incredible. What do you you hope the reader will take away from this church? Did you write this specifically for women to read, or is this something that will be, uh, you know, everyone is going to find uh, a value. I have found men men find it very interesting. I think women are excited by it because it offers them some models that are relevant today to to be outspoken, to be um, committed to the things they value, to... um, 
to treat Jesus as somebody that was important and who understood him in ways that the men did not. So she's a, they're, they're all great role models, and we all need role models. Men and women need role models. Well, that's true. People that we, we, we you know, can aspire to be like. Which of the women that you highlighted do you feel is uh, maybe at the top of that that list of, of people we should admire? Oh, that's hard. Um, well, my favorite has always been Mary Magdalene. Sure um, and I, I think that um, the more I've gotten to know her, the more I've gotten to appreciate her. But I also think that I have... Uh, just my own feelings about these women has has just deepened as a result of writing the book. And uh, the Samaritan woman, I would not have guessed that I would have put her on the cover three years ago, but I went through all the pictures I had of all the women with my spiritual director, and we both picked her hmm. because she she was a nobody. She was an un she was an unacceptable woman in her in her culture, and Jesus treated her. Like she was worth every every bit as much as anybody else. Doesn't that? And she then turned around and got her people to come listen to him and convert. And that really is the underscored message of the gospel. Yes, the message is we can all bring other people to Jesus. You have uh, talked about the woman who had an issue of blood or hemorrhage and yeah. her healing. Is there anything in history that goes beyond the scriptural account of that, or did, did you just highlight her faith in this, uh, in this account? No. I, actually, I begin by, by reading, uh, quoting from Leviticus what was, what was the rules in, in the Hebrew scriptural rules about how women were to behave when there was a flow of blood, whether it was menstruation or some other cause. And um, there was a purity code in Hebrew times that was especially applied to the women rather than the men. The men were, in fact, the purity code was imposed to protect the purity of the men. Mm. And so um, her her experience is, is not different from what Jewish women experienced all, all, all that time, and the red, the red tent, that wonderful novel, is a is a great description of Hebrew times and the women's response to being isolated and and um, uh, set apart, actually, and set apart, set apart yes. when they were bleeding. Yeah, and 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 in her case, the the story is impactful because she had suffered for twelve years, mm. and when she heard that there was this Jewish man who had cured a woman, Peter's mother-in-law, she thought, if I can only just get close enough to touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And by God, that happened. It's a, it's a wonderful story of faith, for sure, on many, level, on many levels. You yeah. also talk about the woman that Jesus sees from the cross. Uh, who is that woman? Mm, well, that's a big debate. Was that his I'm mom? I'm going to get in trouble, <laughs> I think, with some people, because I, I do not believe the woman at the cross was Mary, his mother. Hmm. I believe that he and she conflicted over how he was spending his life, and that she was not there. The only one that says she was there is John, and that was written about 50 years later than the other Gospels. Uh, I believe that the women who were there were those who had served Jesus, and the primary among them was Mary Magdalene. And even in the Gospel of John, when he when John says 
uh, his beloved disciple. I think she was the beloved disciple. That's an she interesting. She was the one that had the closest understanding and relationship with him of all the followers. Controversial for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that leaves us on a very interesting note. I will say this, uh, 22 chapters, 262 pages. Uh, whoever picks this up is going to get a, a great deal of thoughtful discussion about the women who knew Jesus. Uh, I think that they will find the meditations a very engaging and reflective examination of their knowledge of Jesus. And your next project? I'm working on an article about how this book helps us see Jesus more clearly and how Jesus is a model of a spiritual director to us, but the book is a spiritual director to us. Excellent. Well, thank you for yeah. sharing this story and, and happy to know that you are continuing your writing career. Well, thanks, again, the, the book again is titled Women Who Knew Jesus, and my author who has joined me from California is Bonnie Ring. Dr. Ring, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Well, they certainly can get it from my publisher, AuthorHouse, AuthorHouse.com, or they can get it from Amazon or any of the other online bookstores. Have you launched a website yet, or is yes. that something in the future? Oh, there's a wonderful website that AuthorHouse has created for me. It's www.WomenWhoKnewJesus.com. Wonderful. Uh, again, for those who might want to do some uh, respectful uh, stalking online, your name is spelled B-O-N-N-I-E, last name R-I-N-G. Dr. Ring, yes. thank you again for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. My pleasure. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.